Well, praise the Lord, church. It is so good, so good to be back with you this week. So thankful to be hitting up uh, message number two in our series on the book of Jonah. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 to 17. Jonah 1, verse 7 to 17. And here we are, continuing on in our series, second message called... Uh, Jonah, the portrait of God's grace. Now, that's, that can be pretty loaded for some people. This room is filled with a lot of people from different backgrounds and experiences. So we need to make sure we're on the same page of what we mean, what the Bible says uh, when it talks about God's grace. All right, so write this down. You'll see it on the screen. God's grace is God's undeserved favor. God's undeserved favor displayed towards me and motivated by his love for me. That is such a key truth. Write it down, lock it in. God's grace is his undeserved favor displayed towards me that is motivated by his love for me. And as you write that down and as you think on that truth, I want to ask you this question, this question that you can look around and you see it is very crucial. It is one of the most crucial questions of our day for the church. You ready? Here it is. Will you trust? Hey, full disclosure. Let's go. Will you trust in God's provision of sovereign grace in your life at all times and in all things? That is, a, that is the crucial question. If we're gonna navigate these crazy days, it comes right down to that. I'll say it again, write it down. Will you trust in God's provision of sovereign grace in your life at all times and in all things? When it's easy to do, when it's really hard to do. I want you to actually drill this down. Think of that situation right now. That when you think of it, you get fearful. What is that? Think of it. Write it down. You get anxious. Maybe you get angry. You get frustrated. You get impatient. You, you feel that unforgiveness start to well up in your heart from how that person has hurt you. Just write it down right now. Will you trust in God's provision? You feel that, that health crisis that you may be facing? Like, right there. Right there. Will you trust in God's provision of sovereign grace, that in that situation right there, in that, he is only working out of his love and grace towards you right now. Right there. And that he has allowed that issue, that circumstance, that situation, for your greatest good and his greatest glory out of his matchless love for you. Will you trust in his sovereign grace right now? See, I think this highlights the problem. You and I often don't trust God's provision of sovereign grace in our lives. Can we admit that? We have a lot of trouble trusting his sovereign grace. And even if we never declare it on our lips because we as Christians know the right answer, it's lurking in your heart. The unbelief 
the doubt, the questioning. It's lurking. And that we often see, here it is, here it is, here's the issue. We often see, when we hear that definition of God's grace, God's undeserved favor, motivated by his love for us, we have this distortion that happens so easily in our hearts that we see his provision of grace as something that is supposed to make our lives more materially, socially, positionally comfy in the here and now. Welcome to the prosperity gospel. Welcome to it. And you and I are tempted with it every day. God's grace is out to make my life easier. If God was really gracious, if God was really acting out of his grace towards me, he, he would give me a spouse because that's what I really want. He would give me that boyfriend or girlfriend. He would give me this job or opportunity. It's not his grace if I don't get it. It's not his grace if I don't ascend the corporate ladder, if I don't get that opportunity, if my parents' health isn't going well, it's not his grace there. Mm-mm. It's when things are clicking. Now I got the favor of God. He, he, he would give me the results that I want. If, if God was really working out of his grace, he wouldn't allow us to go through a lockdown. What are you talking about? Lockdown, don't you know I, could, I want to go out to eat? I want my way of life. That's not God's grace. He wouldn't let me go through the health. He wouldn't let me go through those trials, that disappointment, that deep pain that that person caused. That I'm harboring this unforgiveness. God would not call me to do this. Just ask Jonah. If he was acting out of his grace towards me, he wouldn't withhold what I know I need. That's not God's grace. Welcome to the prosperity gospel. And it's so subtle. Be careful, loved ones. You see, and the result is this. We have to understand, loved ones, God's grace often doesn't look like we think it will or what we want it to. Let's not box him in. Jonah blows that right out of the water. This entire book. And the result of believing these things. In unbelief, what do we do? Just like Jonah, we run from God. We run. We run from God, we reject his grace, and we resort to, here's what we resort to. We run from trusting in the grace of God that it is motivated by his love, that he's sufficient for us. And what do we run to? Our anger and anxiety and fear. Welcome, you open the door. The division, the devouring of one another, that's where you resort to. You can't go anywhere else. The grumbling, the self-pity, and ultimately resorting to our own efforts to deliver us from what God by his grace has allowed in our lives and promises to use it for his glory and our greatest good if we would trust him, draw near to him, and rely solely on his grace. Here's the big idea I want you to write down. The rest of the sermon's flowing right out of this. Write this down, it's so crucial. Take it with you into the workplace this week too. God will provide you with his grace. You must trust in him. There it is. 
At all times and in all things, no matter what you're facing, God will provide you with his grace and you must trust in him. I must trust in him. It is grace that has brought us there. It is grace that will keep us in there. And it is grace that will lead us from there. Here in our text today, we're going to see three truths we must increasingly live by if we are to trust in God's moment-by-moment provision of sovereign grace to us and live in his peace. Anyone want to live in peace today? Anyone just tired of all the anger? Anyone just tired of all the chaos? Anyone want to live in peace? It's available today as we rest in God's grace. We live in his strength. We live in faith. We live in joy, and we live with confidence in him no matter what situations we face. You ready for some of that today? Yeah, me too. Let's go. Let's stand on the authority of God's word. Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 to 17. I love this. Hey, kids, you're going to love this one. Let's see every kid on their feet. I love seeing your faces. Love seeing those Bibles in your hands. Ready, guys? Church, let's read this together, 7 to 17. It's so good to read God's word together. Let's go. Jonah is thrown into the sea, verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. All right, first thing we see right here out of the first four verses of this text is this. By the way, don't miss this. This actually happened. This actually happened. That's awesome. What an awesome God we serve. Let's go. First four verses. You must trust in God's provision of grace, number one, when it exposes you. When it exposes you. It is God's gift of grace. Hear this, hear this right now. It's not comfy. 
It's not easy, but it's God's gift of grace that he exposes your sin and mine. Will you come clean? There's the question. I'm going to say it again. It is God's gift of grace to you and me that he exposes our sin. Will you come clean? No more hiding. No more masking it. Will you come clean? Let's get our context. We're on a boat somewhere in the Mediterranean. You'll see it right there. There's the Mediterranean Sea. We're on a boat somewhere. Only it don't look calm like that. God's pursuing Jonah. There's a grace chase going on here. God is pursuing him. And as you recall, a couple weeks ago, verses 1 to 6, God's call to Jonah was to go to Nineveh and call them to repent. Now, this just wasn't any comfy call. Nineveh it was the capital or royal city of the main enemy of Israel, Assyria. And so Jonah, and, and up to this point, this is the first time on record where God calls a prophet to go on to the territory of the nation he's calling against. So Jonah doesn't have home court advantage anymore. He's not proclaiming against Assyria from Israel. He's called to go. And he's not going to get a warm, fuzzy reception because they hated each other. There's a lot of discrimination that is going on here. And so what does Jonah do in response to God's gracious call over his life? He says, "Uh, no thanks. Anyone ever said no thanks? Following God's word? No thanks. Jonah says, no thanks. He disobeys God, rebels against his word. And what does he do? He runs to Joppa, which is modern-day Jaffa, the port city in southern Israel. He jumps on a boat to Tarshish. You'll see this on the screen. He jumps on to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish wasn't kind of like sort of in the right direction. It's complete opposite direction. Oh, yeah, 3,000 miles in the opposite direction, the farthest known place you could go, known for its wealth, known for its comfort. Anyone want to run for some comfort? And God responds to Jonah's running. He pursues him by his grace. He pursues Jonah, and what does he do? God hurls a tempest. You see it there? A tempest on the sea where it says right in the text that the boat is at the breaking point. It's ready to break up, to stop Jonah from running, to restore him to God and the mission that he had for Jonah. And so here we pick up this now. There they are in the middle of the Mediterranean. This storm is ready. Can't you just picture the wind and the waves and the howling and the water coming down, the lightning. Don't forget a tempest is like a hurricane, water swirling all over. There's a scene of panic on the boat. Let's pick it up. Go back two verses. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. So they're doing their thing. I'm going to cry out to this God and this one. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea. They're trying their own ideas to lighten it for them. But Jonah, what is Jonah doing? He's gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was sleeping. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean? He's like, what are you doing, O sleeper? Arise, call out to, notice the term, call out to your God now. One of many gods at this point. That's key because that's going to change in a few verses. Call out to your God, perhaps the God, small g, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So there's the key. And then this happens. Captain goes down. He wakes up Jonah. And then look at 
seven to 10. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil's come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil's come upon us. What's your, they just start grilling him. It's like, what, I love this, watch this. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And what people, you just boom, boom, boom. What's the deal, man? You want to get to the bottom of this quick, no kidding. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. See what happens there? They draw lots. What's lots? See it on the screen. Lots was a practice, an ancient practice used to determine God's will in ancient times. Now, we're not 100% sure what this practice looked like, but... We do know that when people cast lots, they had a bag of, as you see there, multiple colored stones. Sometimes it could be sticks. Sometimes it could be knuckles of fragments of bones of animals. And they would have different colors. And they would pick them up out of the bag and then they would cast or they would throw them like dice today. And whoever the different colored one landed by, that would be the person that God had chosen. That would be the decision that God wanted them uh, to make. And in this case, it would show them who was responsible for the trouble they're in. Now, I want to make something very clear. If you're like, hey, man, that's easy. Determine God's, I'm just going to go home and chuck some rocks and then just go with that. Listen, we don't use lots anymore. We don't lay out fleeces. We don't, we don't do those things. You say, why is that? Well, interestingly enough, look at the last time lots are used in the Bible. Acts chapter 1, verse 26. And what are they doing there? They chose Matthias to replace Judas. And they don't, they don't use lots after that. Why? Because what happened in Acts chapter 2? A few verses later, the Holy Spirit came. And so now we've been given the comforter, the helper, the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit to live in us. And, oh, by the way, we have the completed canon of Scripture. And now God has also given us the church in counseling one another. We don't use lots anymore. Little side point. Now, I want you to notice something. This may seem like a game of chance to these sailors, but guess what? God is in complete control. Did you notice that? He's in complete control in determining the outcome. Why? You'll see it on the screen. So comforted by this. God doesn't do random. God does not leave things to chance, ever. He's a God of order, He's a God of detail. He's a God of creation. Just go back to Genesis 1 and 2. You'll see it very specifically. He's got a plan, and he's working it out. Everyone say, God's working it out. And he is sovereign over the wind. Notice this. Look at the text. He's sovereign over the wind, over the waves, over the wayward prophet, and even down to the rocks in the bag. Nothing escapes his notice. You think, well, God's not really into those little things. Oh, yeah, he is. Oh, yes, he is. There is no detail too small. God is in complete sovereign control over all things. Be comforted with that today. He is in complete sovereign control over all things and even uses those who don't fear him, like these sailors. He uses those who don't fear him to accomplish his purpose and will only act out of his grace through them. That's good news. Even to look around what's going on today. God is in sovereign, complete control and working out 
his good plans and his purposes. And he, out of his grace towards each person on that boat, he exposes two things. Did you catch it in those first verses? Number one, he exposes in Jonah, he exposes Jonah's sin that is responsible for this tempest, and he forces him to come clean. God didn't give Jonah any wiggle room. He made it clear who's responsible. He forces Jonah to come clean and confess who he is. Did you catch it? And he declared who God, the God is who he serves. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Notice all caps, L-O-R-D. Every time you see that, that is the name Yahweh. It is the most holy name of God. And it means this, God absolutely is. I love that song we sung, Yahweh, Yahweh. God absolutely is, where he says, I am, comes from there. God absolutely is the standard of all truth. God absolutely is the standard of goodness. God absolutely is eternal. Remember the God that you serve right now. The God that is over all things that you read about on the news and everywhere else. God is absolutely eternal. He is the absolute creator and sustainer. He absolutely is unchanging. And he absolutely has all authority and power and is sovereign. And everything that is not him is dependent on him. God absolutely is. Everything that's not God is dependent on God. And hey, shot to the pride in our lives. That's you and me too. We are in desperate dependence of God's grace on our lives every moment of every day. Whether you will acknowledge it or not, that is the truth. But he also exposes the sailors. Did you see that? So he brings out Jonah, and that's the one we tend to focus on. But look what he did with the sailors. The revelation of God as Jonah proclaims who God is. Who he serves, what does that do? It reveals their sin of unbelief in the true God. You see that? God's exposing the unbelief of the sailors and he exposes their true condition before him. And what is the result? Look at the text. What's the result? Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid when they heard who the true God was. Why were they exceedingly afraid? Because they realized they didn't worship him. They're in trouble. They're in trouble. What a gracious act of the Lord, eh? Giving them the opportunity to turn from hell for eternity. You see, when sin is exposed in our lives, loved ones, it is an act of God's grace. It may not feel comfortable, maybe downright embarrassing sometimes. But it's an act of grace. And today, so often, when God graciously exposes our sin through his word, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, maybe even right now in this room, I pray, through a loving brother or sister who comes to you and sees you walk in sin and says, hey, I love you too much. Can Repent and let's walk in this together. I will bear this burden with you. When God lovingly and graciously exposes our sin so often even through our life circumstances. Right here, circumstances, God orchestrates to have a way of bringing out our sin. Hey, how about COVID? How much grumbling and complaining and idolatry has come out over the last two years in our lives? It's an act of grace. God knew it was there all along. It needed to come out. In you and me. 
But so often when that's exposed, we see the ugliness of it. Our first reaction is so often not humility, confession, and repentance and coming clean, is it? Let's be honest before the Lord. Rather, in our pride, our reaction when God exposes that is to do what? Defend ourselves. Anyone got defensive this week? Maybe just me. Yeah, yeah, I see you. Yeah, God bless you. It's to get defensive. Yeah, well, I had to do that because you did, or to blame others. Because you acted that way. I wouldn't have acted this way if you had just done this. Or if that person, if that decision had been made, then I wouldn't have got angry because I would have gotten my way. I wouldn't have got impatient. I wouldn't have needed to grumble and complain because if things had just gone my... Does it sound familiar? Bring on the defensiveness. We make excuses or it's not so bad. It's not like I'm killing anyone by gossiping. It's not like I'm not as bad as that person over there. I mean, whoa, them. But me, like, okay, a little bit. We make excuses. Or we try to justify it. Or here's even deadlier. We try to keep it a secret. Jonah was trying to keep it a secret. Going below deck. No one could see him. We try to keep it secret, and that secret sin, we think, we think, oh, it's not a big deal. We think, oh, it's not impacting anyone else. Look at the sin of Jonah on the rest of the sailors on the boat. You don't think your sin is impacting everyone around you? Every relationship you have? And we try to hide it because we're so afraid of judgment. We're so afraid of condemnation. And God's like, I'm exposing that so you will know my grace. I have not exposed that to condemn you, but to save you from it. Stop blaming. Stop pointing the finger. You're responsible. I don't like your decision, so I'm justified to act this. No, you're not. Loved ones, listen. Hear the word of God tonight. You'll see it on the screen. God does not expose your sin to condemn you in it, but to save you from it. God does not expose your sin and mine to condemn you in it, to sit there and be like, look what you've done. Look who you are. But to save you from that and to know that you are an object of his loving, eternal, magnificent grace upon your life. There's the beauty of Yahweh. The beauty of our Lord It is an act of his love and mercy and grace towards you and I. Because here's why. God knows that only devastation awaits you. God knows that only devastation awaits you and those impacted by your sin if you keep running from him in it. It'll decimate your marriage, your relationships, your employment, your witness, you name it. God knows what's waiting for you if you continue to run. And hang on. God exposes our sin by his grace. Will you come clean? Hear the word of God tonight. Will you come clean? This is between you and the Lord right now. Will you come clean? Where are you like Jonah? Notice this, I found this so, this paradox here. Jonah says in verse nine, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. He says, I worship God. Where are you saying you worship God? But notice Jonah's running from him. He's not worshiping him. 
Where are we paying lip service saying, yeah, I worship God, I worship Jesus, I'm all in, and yet we're just running in our sin. We're doing the same thing. Loved ones, this is not to condemn you. This is to save you and I from that. Where are we professing a love for God, but yet the love for sin, we're running. We're not repenting. And God, he sees this contradiction between your walk and his word. And God out of his grace towards you has been, or even tonight, exposing the sin that will lead you further and further from him, going down, going down, if you choose to engage in that idolatry anymore, that pornography, that self-promotion, that greed, that complaining, the gossiping, the unbelief. Where, what, what is it? Loved ones, come clean. Stop running. Stop defending yourself. Stop justifying and pointing fingers. Just stop Well, I am justified in my unforgiveness because they hurt me, loved one. Yes, they hurt you. But they're not to blame for your unforgiveness. Stop running. Receive his grace, his mercy tonight and humble yourself and repent and come to him. You... Praise the Lord, you cannot outrun God's grace. You cannot outrun God's grace. And God in his grace has exposed this to you tonight. And his grace is relentless towards you. And his plan A for us, his children, is always desperation to get back to him. Lord, I need you. I don't want to run in this anymore. I I don't know what devastation awaits, but you do. I need you. That's plan A our desperation for him. God's plan B, if we dig in the heels like Jonah and refuse to repent, is our devastation to the breaking point. How many testimonies have you heard time and time after again? I was at the bottom of the rung, bottom barrel, completely broken, and I turned to the Lord. You must trust God's provision of grace, church. When it exposes you, and with this, you must trust God's provision of grace when it confuses you. When it confuses you. You must trust in God's grace when you don't understand. Does anyone else but me find that hard to do? To walk by faith and not by sight. You must trust in God's grace when you don't understand. Will you call out to him? Look at 11 to 14. I love God's word. Let's just let this talk. So good. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? Okay, you're guilty. You're exposed. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he, that is Jonah, said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. But they weren't expecting that. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men, they heard that, that was God's way, and yet they rode hard 
to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. You see what happened there? After Jonah's confession, the panicked sailors realize they're in trouble. And what do they do? They go to Jonah, they turn on him, and they ask him, okay, what has to happen to you, Jonah? Because the tempest is only increasing, and if nothing changes, they're going down. And look at the response, verse 12, Jonah gives. Go back to the text. Jonah still doesn't want to go to Nineveh. See this? Even after God in his grace is like, here's your sin, Jonah. I'm coming after you, Jonah. Jonah still doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So what does he do? He sees the impact of his sin on the sailors, and he thinks, here's what he do. I would rather die than repent. I would rather die and get thrown in the ocean than repent and do what God asked me to do. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. I'm not doing it, God. He is adamant. I'm not changing. I'm standing here. How about us today? God, you're asking me to do that. I'm not doing that. This is what I'm going after. This is where I'm at. I would rather be chucked into the ocean, go anywhere but there. I'm not following you, God. Just digging in the heels. It's going to be too painful. It's going to be too hard. I'm not doing it. It's going to force me to confront my own sin. I am not doing it. Even as you see the impact of your sin on those around you. He says, Jonah responds in what must have been one of the most, get this, hey church, one of the most surprising confusing, terrifying, ludicrous, and doesn't make sense at all in this circumstance response. What does he do? Verse 12, go back to the text. He says, hey, you want the tempest to cease? Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. (laughs) What? If you're a sailor, he's like, yeah, pick me up and chuck me. What's the result? God will deliver. He's gonna rescue you as the seal quiet down and you'll have peace. Does that make sense? Would you understand? No. Neither do the sailors. So look at verses 13 and 14. We see that the sailors think God's way is crazy. That doesn't look like anything's going to change. So what do they do? What you, same thing you and I do. Look at the text. They try their own way. I'm doing my own thing. And in a futile effort to get back to Joppa... To get Jonah off the boat and save and deliver themselves through their own strength and effort, they attempted a solution. Notice this. Grab the oars, dig them in. They didn't need to acknowledge the Lord and follow his plan. That's the solution they attempt. And that's what you and I do every time we try to use our own strength. Our ideas, our plan, our wisdom. We don't need to acknowledge the Lord. We got this. Give me the oars. Give me the oars. And, what, and what, what happens? Instead of surrendering to the Lord, they rowed harder. Verse 13, notice the superscript word on hard. Notice, go down to the bottom of your page. In the Hebrew, it means 
the men dug in their oars. Where are you just digging in your oars today? It's my way. I'm gonna row myself out of this. Digging in their oars and surprise, surprise, the tempest just continues to get more intense. And don't miss the key point right here. God loves them too much to let them off the hook. Eyes up here, church. I love seeing your faces. Missed you so much. Hey, God loves you too much to let you off the hook. You can dig your oars in. It's not going away. He loves you too much to let you off the hook. You can try to do your own thing. It's not going to change. It'll just take you further from him. The tempest is a provision of grace towards them to bring them back to him. And even though these sailors could not fathom why or what God was doing, even when it looked like any other way would have been better than God's way, even though this was the very best thing for them to do, it would be the thing God would use to deliver them, as we will see in a moment. They couldn't see what was going to happen. They heard this, but they had to have faith to believe it. They couldn't see. Was it going to make a difference following God's way? The tempest was orchestrated by him so they couldn't deliver themselves with their own effort. To break them of their self-sufficiency and all the other idols they were worshiping. Just go back to verse 5 as we started the text with. And it would lead to their destruction if not repented of. And God orchestrates this tempest that it's increasing. Okay, loved one, you can try that. I'm not going to force my will on you. You got a choice right now. But I want to bring you to a place of humility, of desperation to call on my name, just like we sung, and rely solely on his mercy and grace for deliverance. No more digging your oars in. That's for someone in this room right now. No more digging your oars in. It's time to humble yourself. And look at, finally in verse 14, they can't take it anymore. It's not working. Go figure. There's no more self-effort. There's no more running to other idols. And they see God's sovereign hand in the storm. Now it starts to click. They see God's sovereign hand in the storm. They see it in the lots. They hear Jonah's word about who God is and the revelation of God Jonah has preached to them. And, and they declare, notice verse 14, the switch. They declare that everything they are experiencing is from the Lord. You have done what pleased you. See that? Change of heart right there. And what do they do? They confess him as Lord over all. You see? See what happened in verse 14? What word do they use for the Lord? Same as Jonah. The very one he proclaimed to them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, not the God, not your God, to the Lord. Awesome. Awesome. They cried out to the Lord. To the Lord. 
They humble themselves and call out to him in desperation. They're ready to obey and submit to his way in faith, even though they couldn't see and had no indication that that God, other than the word of Jonah, that God would rescue them if they did. Hey, question, loved ones. How many of us are doing the same thing as one of these two groups? Ready? First off, Jonah. How many of us doing the same thing as Jonah, saying, I'm not doing it, God. I'm not doing it. Chuck me in the sea. I'd rather die. I'm not going through with this. I'm not going to follow you. I won't let go of my position. I won't let go of my wants. I won't let go of my desires. I want my way and I want it now. I deserve it. I won't submit to your way even if not following it leads to my destruction. Or how many of us are doing the same thing as the sailors did? As the fear and anxiety and doubt starts to creep in, maybe as you look at society today, gripped with fear, You say, I don't know what you're doing, God. Have you ever asked God that? You look at a situation, you're like, how is this this an act of grace? I don't see it. It it doesn't fit my box, my paradigm. What are you doing? It doesn't make sense. I can't see any hint of your deliverance here. You have allowed this. It it just looks like things aren't going to end well if I follow you. So I need to do this and try harder. Grab the oars and get back to the shoreline and save myself because I can't trust you in the middle of this pandemic. I'm taking matters into my own. I'm hitting social media. I I can't trust you here with this health issue. It's time for me to grab the oars. I, 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 I can't trust you with the unknown with my fear, what's causing my fear and anxiety when what needs to happen as it did for these sailors is we see this beautiful change of heart right here in verse 14. Humble submission and recognition of who God is, that his sovereignty, he is sovereign, and that he is doing what pleases him in your life by his grace will draw you to him and rescue you from what will devastate you and keep you from him. And he will accomplish this out of his immense love for you and his goodness and mercy and grace towards you and his glory in your life. You must trust in God's grace when you don't understand, loved ones. I don't know about you, but these last two years, I've really struggled to understand this sometimes. Go through a death of someone very close to us who struggle to understand God's grace. It's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Will you call out to him, though, in faith, remembering who he is in that situation you're facing right now, in your rebellion against his word that you, you will think you will lead you to life, but, but it won't. Will you call out to him right there? Turn from that. Repent. Where do you need to take your hands off the oars and stop digging in and rowing on your own strength and your self-efforts for deliverance in your job, in your relationships? Maybe even here tonight, you have not known and confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You need to stop trying to save yourself and get to the shoreline on your own. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Loved one, loved one. James 4.10, hear the word of God. It says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There is only grace waiting on the other side of humility and repentance. He gives grace to the humble. See, you and I, hey, can, I just, can we just put this out there? This is hard for our flesh to get, our, get around and actually accept, but you and I don't see the whole picture. 
The sailors didn't see the whole picture. Jonah did not see the whole picture. Oh yeah, I'm about to be swallowed by a whale. Really? You think you saw that coming? He didn't see how God was going to rescue him. He didn't see, the sailors didn't see how God was going to deliver them. They don't see the whole picture, neither do you and I. But we do know this based on the authority of God's word and his unchanging nature. You'll see it on the screen. You and I would want what God wants if we knew what God knows. You and I would want what God wants if we knew what God knows. We must trust him. See, God knew exactly what was about to happen in their lives, in Jonah's life, if they surrendered to him. God knew the storm would come. God knew the fish, he had already appointed it to come. He knew what was coming. They couldn't see it. See, God promises to always draw near to the desperate who humble themselves, call on his name, and follow him. Hey, question right here. Will you? Even today, with all this chaos around us, will you call on him even when you don't understand and trust him? Humble yourself. See, you must trust God's provision of grace when it exposes you, when it confuses you, church, and yet you must Call on him, knowing this, final point today before communion. Watch this. You must know this, that he will rescue you. That God will rescue you. See, God, be encouraged with this, God has appointed his grace towards you. He's a God of grace. He can only act out of grace. Otherwise, he acts against his nature. He is grace. He's appointed his grace towards you. Will you trust in his saving grace? Look, it's 15 and 16. This is beautiful, the crescendo here. So they picked up Jonah, done with trying their own ways. They picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17. Oh, we'll get to that in a second. See, after humbling themselves and crying out to the Lord, the sailors finally do it God's way. And what do they do? They throw Jonah into the sea. Bet you that didn't make any sense. Now we're going to be charged with murder before God. They throw him into the sea. That's not making sense. We're just adding on our resume here. Oh yeah, we drowned a guy. And they threw him in as, notice this, notice, notice this, as a substitute for their own lives. Jonah's life was the substitute for the lives of the sailors. And what happens as a result? Just go back to the text. God's wrath is satisfied. It's satisfied, and the sea becomes calm. Notice what happened in the sailors' hearts after hearing the revelation of who God was through Jonah. And seeing God act through his sovereign power and grace, they, ex- notice the text right there? It says right there in 16, they feared him exceedingly. That's, God, that's a different kind of fear. It means reverence and worship now and awe. It's not a fear of, well, I don't worship him. I don't know what's, now it's a fear and awe and reverence for the Lord and who he is. And they, what do they do? They offer a sacrifice of worship to him and vow to serve him. God brings revival on the boat. Bet they didn't see that coming. 
they had to humble themselves and do it God's way. No more pointing fingers. Let go of the oars, and revival comes to the boat. Awesome. That God, by his grace, used all of their hardship. He used all of their circumstance. He used even the sin of his rebellious prophet Jonah to expose their hearts, reveal himself to them, smash their idols so they could finally see the true deliverer of their souls. And in doing so, they didn't just get peace on the sea. See what happened there? They received peace with God himself. Eyes up here. You would want what God wants if you knew what God knows. He's awesome. What an awesome God. His grace pursuing us. See, what about Jonah? What happens to Jonah here? That's what's happening to the sailors. He doesn't know what's going on in the ship. Where's Jonah? Even though Jonah thinks he's done with God. Hey, get this. Maybe this is you tonight. Even though Jonah thinks he's done with God, God's not done with Jonah. Amen? God's not done with Jonah. He still has a great plan for him. And what does God do? He rescues Jonah too by his amazing grace. Look at verse 17 right here. The title says it all. A great fish swallows Jonah. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, now just get this picture. Jonah couldn't see what was waiting for him under the water. You'll see it on the screen. All he saw was the tempest. I'm going to run. I'm going in the water. And God's like, I've already appointed. Notice where it said there, look. And the Lord appointed. Look at the subscript, the superscript number there. Now go down to the bottom of the page. Isn't God's word so amazing? Go down to the bottom. And it said, had appointed. God already had appointed the fish long before Jonah hit the water. Talk about grace. I see your rebellions coming. And I've already appointed the grace to bring you through. Will you turn? That's what's waiting under the water. Hey, keep that up there. That's so good. That's what's waiting under the water for Jonah. He couldn't see it. And you know what it says here? God's supernatural, as we'll see, Lord willing, next week in chapter two. I hope that just blows our hearts wide open. Watch this. It means God supernaturally sustains Jonah all the way down because he went to the bottom. A lot of kids' Bibles, I love kids' Bibles, but they often make the mistake of thinking Jonah was like gulped at the surface. It's actually not true. He sunk. God let him sink for a reason. We'll get to that next week. But God sustains him all the way down to the bottom, and he appointed, look at this, God had appointed before time began this fish at this moment, at this time, at this size, at this exact place, in the midst of a massive sea, 
to rescue his rebellious prophet. Why did God do this? Not to condemn Jonah, but to rescue him out of God's great love for him. And he keeps him there three days and three nights. Why? Because God is not done with Jonah. He is restoring him. Awesome. Everyone say, God is awesome. God is awesome. God appoints his grace towards you. We see it in Jonah's life. We see it in the sailors. And now today he hasn't changed. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He has appointed his grace towards you. Will you trust his saving grace? Will you trust that God's grace, even when it feels like you're sinking to the bottom, even when the darkness seems to be closing in and surrounding you, that God will never abandon his children? He will never abandon you and will rescue them at his appointed time in his appointed way for his glory and their good. Will you trust him? He's worthy of all the trust we can give and so much more. See, and this event reveals the provision of God's grace that points to the event of the greatest provision of God's grace he's ever given. Did you see that? One that does not just give hope for this life, but for the life to come. See, you say, what do you mean? I love how you see Jesus all through the Old Testament. Watch this, watch this. When he says he's the sign of Jonah in Matthew 12, watch this, watch this. Oh, watch this. Here, come on, Lord. There was another or greater sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. You see that? There, another man, a greater man, a man who is fully God and fully man named Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, who he declared in Matthew 12, I am the sign of Jonah, but who, notice, unlike Jonah, lived a perfect life and was truly innocent of sin. See, Jesus didn't get it hurled into the water of God's judgment. He got nailed to the cross of God's judgment. He didn't get hurled into the water of judgment, but was nailed to the cross of God's judgment where he became the substitute and paid the penalty for our sin that separates us from God. And through his shed blood, the wrath of God was satisfied. And he didn't spend, Jesus didn't spend three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. And then as we'll see, Lord willing, next week, get spit up on shore. But Jesus spent three days and three nights in a tomb. In a tomb and resurrected from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And you see, Jesus' sacrifice just didn't offer salvation to a few men on a boat, but offers salvation to all who repent of their sin and confess him as Lord and Savior. They too will have forgiveness of sin and peace with God. Deliverance from hell and be given eternal life through him. Welcome to the sign of Jonah. Loved ones, this is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. How great is our God? And as the worship team comes up, it's only fitting that we respond to the amazing grace of Jesus Christ by remembering his sacrifice for us. How do we do that? By coming to the Lord's table together. This is such a good weekend to come to the Lord's table and get our eyes back on Jesus, amen? The Lord's table, where we have the elements here, the bread, 
which represents Jesus' body, which was crushed beyond recognition, and the juice, which represents his blood that was shed to cover all of our sin that we have ever committed, are committing, or will ever commit, and walk in victory over sin and have freedom and new life in him. And hey, loved ones, don't take this lightly. As we come to the Lord's table right now, scripture's very clear, we're called to examine ourselves. Don't come to the table flippantly. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29 says this, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. There's a lot at stake here. So in these next few moments, here's what I want you to do, loved ones. I want you to get quiet before, I want you to come clean before the Lord. This is what God's asking us to do, right? From 1 Corinthians, come clean. Right now. Come clean and say, search me, O God, Psalm 139, and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts and see where the offensive ways are in me and lead me in the path everlasting. Let's come clean before the Lord. That unforgiveness where we're holding on to the oars, our unbelief in his grace, that it is sufficient, that it will rescue us and deliver us in his time and his way. Just where are we, where are we making ourselves the sovereignty in our lives? Lay it all down, and as God brings those things forward, take time right now to repent. Humble yourself, let go of the oars, and repent. There is grace waiting. There is freedom waiting. No more secrets. Lay it out. And if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to say two things to you today. Right now, I want to say, number one, I'm so thankful you're here. It is God's sovereignty that has brought you here for at this moment, at this time. I hope you can see it. And number two, I'm going to ask you to let the elements, just, just put them beside you if you've taken them. Don't take them. And then come up after, and we want to talk with you about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. His grace that is pursuing you and calling you to himself today. So loved ones, let's take a few minutes right now and get clean before the Lord. Let's come clean. Mm -hmm.